Everyone said? Have any of you got children or have had children that have ever complained about the food you set before them? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a fascinating story of the children of Israel who complained about the food they had to eat. We're going to find the story in Numbers 11, chapter 4. Now, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Everyone say intense craving. Hmm. Mm, it's a powerful statement. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat <clears throat> to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing else except this manna before our eyes. Go down to verse 18. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, mm -hmm. and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Imagine that. Imagine having to eat the same food every day, three times a day, not for one day, five days, ten days, but for an entire month. You would find that food loathsome unless it was chicken curry. <laughs> that to the side. Our world in which we live today has cast off every restraint, and yielded to the intense cravings of the flesh. We have done that. Almost every restraint has been cast off now. Unlimited freedom to do whatever feels good. It's so strong out there now. If it feels good, it must be okay. Well, I feel this way. Okay, then that's okay. Well, I feel that way. That's, well, then it's okay. If it feels good, then it must be okay. Yielded to intense cravings. What has the result been? Greater bondage, misery, despair than ever in the history of the world. Life has become loathsome to many because you cannot abandon the laws of God without facing serious consequences. For many today, days are spent overstimulated to the point of numbness. An entertainment-addicted age, Facebooked, Instagrammed, Twitterized, iPad, iPhone, computer gamed, has produced the most bored generation. And boring people because they don't know how to converse with one another. They have very little knowledge because they're locked in these games and social media. Solomon, at one time, made a decision. He was a powerful man. He said, Whatever my eyes desire, I'm going to indulge in it. And he went for it. He could have anything on the planet. And then he came to a conclusion in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11. He said, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. See, friends, the best the world can offer will never satisfy you. Only God can satisfy the deep longings of the heart. He's the cup that won't run dry. And my, how we need a revelation even within the church that all this other stuff that we chase after will not satisfy. It's going to leave us empty, friends. 
Leave us searching. Leave us bored. Only God can satisfy. I encourage you, chase God with every ounce of strength and energy he gives you. That's the pathway to life. That's the pathway to blessing. The world is in a state of emergency and in desperate need of rescuing. It needs the message of the gospel. It needs the laws of God. It needs the Ten Commandments. It needs the restraints God puts on us. Because only the truth and living in it will set us free. I mentioned not long ago about what some missionaries are saying about the church in the West. They say in the United States, the church is walking. In Australia, it's sitting down. And in New Zealand, the church is asleep. They say one of the reasons for this is in America, they're facing a lot of crises. They've had 9-11. There's a lot of terrorism. There's mass shootings all the time. And, you know, there's internal struggles. So, you know, the church is rising up to the challenge of the hour, to a measure. Australia also, they face a lot more stuff than we do. They have terrorist attacks and, you know, a lot, lot more issues within schools and laws and, and things that are being passed in Australia. And so there, the church is thinking, man, we need to do something. Good old New Zealand, locked away safely, the ends of the earth. No major threats. So the church goes to sleep. But I want to say to you today, it may be asleep, but it's a sleeping giant. And this giant is about to arise and become an exceeding great army that's going to have an impact in this nation. But in the meantime, there is a bit of a job and a wake-up call that is necessary. Isaiah 61 to 5, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Who's you? You. His glory is going to be seen on you. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? The Gentiles shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they gather together and come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. You got sons away from God? Daughters away from God, claim this promise. It may be the time of greatest darkness, and they may be walking in the greatest darkness, but light's going to shine on you, and God's going to bring them back in Jesus' name. Then you shall see and become radiant. Your heart will swell with joy. Why? Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Isaiah prophesied great darkness on the earth. He prophesied there'll be deep darkness all across you. And friends, this is what we're seeing in our world today. But he said, at the time of deepest darkness, he said, then the glory of the Lord is going to shine and come upon his people. And the church of Jesus Christ will rise to its finest hour. Deep darkness, yes, but great glory at the same time. There was a man who had a vision and he was over in the vision. He was in the spirit over a country in Africa. And he saw these thousands and thousands of bright shining lights. And he inquired you know, what, what are these lights? And it was made clear to him by God or by the angel that these were the Christians. You see, friends, if our eyes were ever open to the unseen realm of the Spirit, each one of us would be a bright, shining light. And you say, but I don't really feel like one. If Jesus is in you, you he's the light of the world. You are shining. He's emanating outside of you. And as darkness increases upon that earth, guess what? That light in you is going to get brighter and brighter 
and brighter and brighter, and people are going to be drawn to you, and they're going to say, what is it about you? And that's when you're going to be able to share the message and the good news of Jesus Christ. The church is the only hope of the world. The church is the light of the world. And in the state of emergency, although darkness is all around us, God is arising upon the church. We will rise to the challenge of the hour because the power behind us is greater than the task that is ahead of us. This is our time. This is your time. The church is coming into its finest days, to its finest hour. Yeah, it may be dark on the outside. Maybe as you listen to me today and see some of the excitement and some of the things I'm saying, you're thinking, Pastor, listening to you, I actually think I'm asleep. Can you help me? Well, I'm trying my best. You're saying, Pastor, I barely pray or read my Bible. I'm irregular in church. I don't serve. I don't use my gifts. I have virtually no passion for the lost. Pastor, can you wake me up? I'll tell you what will wake you up. New Zealand Beyond will wake you up. Our Hour of Power Service tonight will wake you up. They are powerful times. Let me just encourage you for a while. There are arising in our church some amazing, amazing people who are really getting it. I was talking to a person a while ago. This woman said that she tends to wake fairly early in the morning. I don't know, it'd be before dawn, I guess, or around about that time, pretty early in the morning. Would always go to, the, to her prayer place. And I thought, oh, well, that's cool. And then she said this. She said, I get into praying. She said, I start interceding for New Zealand and the nations. And she said, then this travail comes on me. She said, it's like giving birth to a child. The agony and the strain of it. And I thought, my goodness, this is high-level intercession that people in this church are now beginning to come into. And I was so excited to hear that uh, people are responding to the state of emergency. Then there was another young man came up to me after part one. And he, he, was, he was sort of kind of almost teary-eyed. And he said, Pastor, he said, I'm, I'm so burdened, he said, for my work colleagues. And I thought, wow, that's great. And he said, they're just making such a mess of their lives. And, you know, they're getting miserable. And he said, I just, I'm so concerned for them, so burdened for them. And I was just encouraged that he had such a burden for those he worked with. And then he came up to me after part two of uh, State of Emergency. He said, Pastor, he was so excited. He said, one of the girls I work with, she's a Hindu, and she's saying to me, my, my, my religion is not working for me. I need to look at Christianity. Will you invite me to church? When you start to get a burden for the people around you and pray for them, God begins to move and work in their hearts. Then I heard of another just group of people in our church. They just went away for a, a whole day on, on a Saturday. And I said, well, what are you going to be doing? They just said, we're, we're going to be praying for, for Church Unlimited. We're going to be praying for the nation. We're praying for a revival. We're going to be praying for you. And I thought, this is a whole, a whole day. They said, friends, people are getting it. Yeah. 
People are rising up to the challenge of the hour. They're realizing that it's time to do something. It's time for action. And they're getting on fire for God, which is, I just was so encouraged by that. It's really fantastic. And thank you for that person clapping over there. You, you got the fire too. One more story. One more story. One of our amazing young people. Valentine's Day. Put together these little packs, all right? And um, in these packs, there's chocolates, and there's all these hearts, and then I think they would write a message within that. And then they've sneaked into the packet an invitation to New Zealand and beyond (laughs) and gave it to their work colleagues, of whom two have now signed up for New Zealand and beyond, and they're working on the third. Is there anyone here who could not do that, something like that? It's so easy. People are so responsive today. But what is encouraging me, folks, is this church is getting it. People are getting stirred with a passion for the cause of Christ. Isn't that exciting? What a wonderful church we have and wonderful people in this place. They're encouraging signs. See, we can no longer live as though things are normal. I hope something's stirring in your heart and you're starting to think, man, there's nothing normal in our world today. It is such a disaster. It's such a mess. It's getting worse. So we change our lifestyle in response to that. Korea has a unique Christian history because it received the gospel before the missionaries actually got there. And what happened was this, that Robert Thomas, aged just 27, with a whole life ahead of him, but he had a passion for the gospel passion to go to Korea. And so he was warned by organizations and churches not to go because if you go to Korea, you're going to get killed. Undeterred and filled with passion, he set sail to Korea. And Korean troops shot fire arrows to a ship, which was soon ablaze. So he threw all the Bibles off the ship and finally crawled his way and made his way to shore, was confronted by a soldier and beheaded. Lost his life. In his journal, this Korean soldier would later write that as he was about to kill Thomas, Thomas looked at him, smiled, held both the soldier's hands somehow, and then gave him a Bible. Or gave him what he said, gave me a book with a red cover on it. He said, I... Could not refuse the book, but I still did kill him. Well, paper was precious in Korea. So this policeman ended up with the Bible, and he plastered his walls like wallpaper in one of the rooms or a number of the rooms, I don't know. And then he would start reading through the scriptures, and eventually he gave his life to Christ. Or saved. People would come to that house. It was a bit like a motel to sleep over. And he said the people who came would read the scriptures on the wall and give their lives to Jesus. Through the dedication and passion of one man, that, that house actually became the first church in Korea. One man's passion for the gospel helped turn an entire nation to God. We're not going to be asked, most likely, most of us aren't going to be asked to lose our lives. 
But to me, the challenge of that story, why it inspires me, is what one person can do. What you can do for the gospel is beyond your comprehension and belief. All it requires is to be sold out and fully committed to the cause of Christ. I remember Gideon's army. Remember he had 32,000 people. God said, oh, way too many. They cut it right back. Still too many. He cut it right back to 300. And 300 went out and I think defeated an army of 135,000 people. God doesn't need a lot of people. He just needs a a group of people who are sold out for him. And they can change a city, a community, and even a nation. Well, 33 years later, a missionary would go to Korea. And a man would come up to him at the end of his speaking. And he said, I am the soldier who killed Thomas. He gave me a book. He said, I've been reading it. I feel so bad. I feel so guilty. What can I do? Through one man, the gospel had advanced in an amazing, amazing way. In responding to the state of emergency, I've been challenged by some verses. I want to read to you in Mark 8, 34 to 35. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, whoever, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever saves, desires to save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Do you know there's other verses in the gospels, I think it's in John, that says, if we don't take up our cross daily, we can't be his disciples. Wow, and I've been reading this and I've been thinking, Jesus, help me. I want to be a a follower, not just a fan. I want to be a disciple, not just a church attender. And so I've been apprehended by the call to deny myself, to take up my cross daily, to lose my life for Jesus and the sake of the gospel. So I've been praying, Lord, would you help me today? So I get up in the morning, I say, God, today, how do you, what do you want me to do to deny myself today? God, what sacrifice do you want me to make today that I would not normally make for the sake of the gospel? And God, in a a gracious way, is beginning to show me things. I'm beginning to to change my lifestyle to a measure and do things I would not normally do, make sacrifices I would not normally make for the cause of Christ and the gospel as I try and fulfill that scripture to deny myself and to take up my cross and sacrifice for the cause of Christ. I'm finding it a, it's a very challenging thing, but it's a very inspiring and a very encouraging thing. And I I'm, I'm really must admit I am enjoying doing it because once you start doing something like that, you begin to find your life. Yeah. You actually don't lose it. You actually begin to find it. It's, it's an amazing thing. Everything works in reverse, doesn't it? So for me to come four hours to a, a half night of prayer, well, that, it, obviously it took, it took sacrifice. I had to deny myself. I had to take up my cross. What most of you don't know is I'd been invited earlier on, way earlier on, that night to go to a T20 match in Eden Park of India playing uh, against New Zealand. And I would have loved to have gone. But I didn't. To deny myself, take up my cross and pray and seek God. To attend the hour of power tonight. To come will require denying yourself, require taking up your cross. I mean, you could be sitting at home, you know, watching Days of Our Lives or Coronation Street or something else more inspiring than that. Could be doing something like that, but to not do that and say, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going to pray tonight. Yeah. It's costly, isn't it, folks? 
But I tell you, if you do it, oh, you get so thrilled. You get so fulfilled and so satisfied. The key is just to start denying yourself. Once you start, the momentum comes behind you. The spirit comes behind you, and you're away. And then you just do more and more, and it's, it just gets better all the time. So I want to encourage you with this. Take this away. Ask God every day when you wake up and say, God, how can I take up my cross today? Here's a thought, isn't it? Thank you for the overwhelming response and clap to that thought. <laughs> Ask him. So instead of watching TV, that program you love, why not turn it off and pray? Or read your Bible? Or make that phone call of that person who's struggling right now? Or go and visit that person that is lonely? Whatever it might be. Start to make some sacrifices, and it will change your life. Instead of buying something you don't need, why don't you just give something extra to God? That's denying yourself, isn't it? Why not book in two days annual leave and come to New Zealand and beyond? That's a sacrifice. That's taking up your cross. That's denying yourself. Come and do it. For my sake, no. It's not for me. This is for God. Yeah, it's, it's for the cause of our nation. It's for this broken land in which we live. We can do this. We can rise to it and God will help us. Mother Teresa says, you know, sometimes you just need small acts of kindness to draw people to God. She said the hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a preacher in New Orleans, and uh, he noticed his family in front of him. He's in a store, and they didn't have enough money to pay for their food. So he said, don't look around, but here, here's some money, and Jesus loves you. That's all he said. Nine years later, he's speaking in New Orleans, and after a service, a man comes up to him, and he said, some years ago, my wife and child and I were destitute. We had no money. We were living in a car. We agreed on a suicide pact. We'd worked out exactly what we were going to do, and we were going to do it. We thought before we commit suicide, we'd just give our kids some food to eat. So they went to a store. So we went to a store. They're telling this preacher the story. Went to the store, and uh, we didn't have enough money to pay for our food. And a man behind us said, here, have this money. Jesus loves you. So we drove away from the store, going to our suicide-packed place, and we just wept for hours, and we could not go through with it. As we drove away from the suicide pact, we saw this church with a sign on it, Jesus loves you. We walked into the church and we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. And they said to that man, because of your act of kindness, three lives have been saved from suicide and have found Christ as Savior. Is there anyone here that couldn't do a small act of kindness like that? This is how we're going to reach our nation, one person at a time. One act of kindness at a time, one act of love at a time will make all the difference in the world. Hudson Taylor says, many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little they attempt. Then he says, all God's giants, I love this, have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. All God's job. You know, God loves to use weak people. That's why he uses me. 
and most of you, and every one of us can be a giant for God. Every one of us. You say, no, no, I don't believe that. Yes, you can. Do you know why? Because you have the same Jesus living in you as I have. You have the same resurrection power as I have. You have the same Holy Spirit as I have. You have the same Father in heaven as I have. We are equal. We all have the Godhead backing us up. We can all be giants in God. Tell the person next to you, you can be a giant in God. Nice and loud. Come on, with conviction. Yell it at them if you have to. Who's ready to rise and be a giant for God? Come on. We can do this, church, all of us. And with thousands of giants at New Zealand and beyond, we will change this nation and we'll turn it back to Jesus. You can be a giant. We can all be a giant for God. As I wrap this up, bring this plane into land. The greatest response you and I can make to the state of emergency is 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. Which says, if you'd like to read it with me, if... My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Say it again, and heal their land. Say it again, and heal their land. And heal their land. And heal their land. And heal their land. If my people... Not the politicians, not the millionaires, not the business people, not academia, not the professors, not the anybody... But my people, who are my people? That's you and it's me. The responsibility on us. I reckon this if, I if there, is the biggest if in all of Scripture. Maybe the most powerful if ever recorded in the Bible. Because it's a key to nations being healed. A nation being healed means a community gets healed. Community gets healed means homes get healed. Which means that families get healed, means relationships get healed, means marriages get healed. It means, you know, bodies get healed. Everything get, get healed. When the nation gets healed, we all benefit, folks. Our lives are going to go exponentially better because our nation gets healed. If my people, two simple words, and yet for 2,000 years, the church has struggled to respond to that one challenge of Scripture and one promise of God. And so the return of Christ, I guess, is delayed and delayed and delayed. But I believe the time has come that we will now respond. We will deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and pray. Next week, we've got three days of prayer and fasting. Why don't you join with us for all of it or part of it? You, you and I can help awaken the sleeping giant and turn New Zealand to Jesus. God is depending on you. He's depending on me. He's depending on the church of Jesus Christ. Let's join together. Tonight is our response to the state of emergency. Tonight is our response to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. When God says, if, we say, count on me. If my people, God, you've got me. I'll be there praying for the healing of our land. And if there's enough of us praying, God is going to, heaven is going to hear and there's going to be an answer. Let's see if we can't fill this place tonight with passionate prayer. Samuel Zwuma said, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. There was a number of years ago at Church Unlimited when um, we were much smaller, but we normally always get, got people saved, but there was a time where no one was getting saved for quite some time, and I was quite disturbed. I love seeing people saved. 
So I, I prayed and I cried out to God and I said, God, what, what's the deal here? What's going on? Why are, not, why are people not being saved? I remember I was walking in West Auckland and the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly and gave me a verse of scripture, Isaiah 66, verse 8, which says that no sooner, as soon as Zion, the church, was in labor, we heard about labor earlier on, a travailing prayer, she gave birth to her children. I thought, aha, it takes prayer intercession to bring to birth lost people. And so I asked the church, and I can't remember, I think it was a 21-day fast. May have been 10, but I think it was a 21-day fast. I said, let's join together. I want us to pray specifically for the birthing of souls in response to that verse. Over the next month, and our church was quite small then, 100 people stood at the altars of salvation. And I knew then God had given me the key to reaching our nation for Jesus. Prayer and fasting will get the job done. New Zealand and beyond is a catalyst that God has given us to awaken the church of New Zealand to fulfill 2 Chronicles 7.14. Isn't that a great mission? Yeah. It's our catalyst to help the church of New Zealand to rise to the challenge because we can't just do it ourselves. We need the body of Christ coming on board with us to get this done of 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. The sleeping giant is arising. God is awakening his church. We're saying to the devil, you have ravaged our land for long enough. We say no longer. You are a trespasser. And we evict you in Jesus' name. This nation belongs to God. And we are taking back what you have stolen from us. We declare, as it is written, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Satan, your time is up. And we declare a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the land of the long white cloud will be the land of the great Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal New Zealand. Amen.